0: And um, some can say the ingenuity, the military, the melting pot of bringing the the strengths of all these different people together, and um, yet when when you look at it, Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When you look at that aspect, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, in 1831, a French writer said, spent eight months traveling around the United States and interviewing people and talking to people. He wanted to find what made America great. And Alexis de Tocqueville said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpit's flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. When... When you understand righteousness exalts a nation, and as he said in his extensive travels and interview and his conclusion, what made America great is because America was godly. But I want us to break it down a little bit. Needless to say, not everybody in America was godly, but Some things that made America great. Number one, it had a godly purpose. The pilgrims left England to go to Holland and eventually left Holland to come to America to be able to worship God according to their conscience. Let me remind you again, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Mayflower Compact. But in light of all the political correctness in our world today, notice what the Mayflower Compact says. In the name of God, Amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subject of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc., Then they say, "...having undertaken for the glory of God and advancements of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia." Then they go on and promise some of the things. But notice what their purpose was. "...for the glory of God, for the advancement of the Christian faith, and for the honor of the king." Now, whether we are a Christian nation today or not um, may be debatable, but there is without question that this nation, the foundations of this nation, were for a godly purpose, for a Christian for a Christian nation. And uh, Patrick Henry said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often, that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't get more clear than that. And their their purpose was to build a beacon for the world where the gospel would go out for the glory of God. So... One of the things that that helped make America great was the godly purpose. And it's a fascinating study to get in and and look out how the various movements of the states coming together for the Constitution, the debates that went on that enabled us to have religious liberty. There were many that wanted... There to be state churches, as there were in Europe where they came from. And thankfully, many of our Baptist forefathers were the ones that held the line and said, No, that's one of the reasons we're coming here, is to separate um, the state from dictating to the church what is going on. So there was a godly purpose. Secondly there was a respect for and an obedience to the Bible. Studies have been made of all the quotations from the Founding Fathers era, 34% of the quotes of the Founding Fathers were taken directly from the Bible. That is 15 times more than any other source. So you can see, They had a great love and respect for God's Word, not just to give it a a kind of a mental nod, but they, the foundation of their beliefs. Ninety-four percent of the founders' ideas were based on the Bible. For example, the three branches of government come from Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22. There'd never, been a, there'd never been a form of government that had the three branches of government. They just didn't think this up from their own minds. They um, got this from the Word of God. The separation of powers, which we're seeing being eroded away so quickly, they got from Jeremiah 17, from reading the Bible. We could go on and on and list uh, numerous other places where they found these principles in the Bible. Tax-exempt status for churches, that it was unheard of. In fact, most believe that, that churches could not exist without the state putting money into it. And to at least give tax-exempt status and then keep the state out of the church, that was a concept that they got from, from the Bible as well. And they understood that the Bible is the best friend of good government. George Washington said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. They had a great, great respect. And then thirdly, what made America great was there was a great spirit of sacrifice. It's already been alluded to um, the the toughness, the mental toughness of of not only the pilgrims but our founding fathers, the Revolutionary War, the pioneers that that came and settled here. But A spirit of sacrifice in which they did not live for themselves but for others. Of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, five signers were captured by the British as traitors and they were tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Now think of it, when they signed this, They knew what was potentially involved in this. I mean, think of it. To have your home ransacked and burned because you committed to this cause of liberty. So they said, nope, this means more to us than our homes do. Two lost their sons during the Revolutionary Army, and another had two of their sons captured Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the Revolutionary War. Of these men, um, sometimes revisionists would love to have you think that they were just a bunch of wild-eyed rabble-rousers. Twenty-four were lawyers and jurists. Eleven were merchants Nine were farmers and large plantation owners. They were well-educated, but they signed the Declaration of Independence full knowing the penalty would be death if they were captured. For example, Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts, and he died in rags. Thomas McKeem was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay, and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, and poverty was his reward. Vandals and soldiers looted the properties of Dillery and Hall and Clymer and Walton and Gwinnett and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. You could go on and on. For example, John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and gristmill were laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves. Returning home to find his wife dead and his children vanished these liberties that we take so for granted came because of a spirit of sacrifice. Not only our founding fathers, but throughout the history. And then understanding really what made America great was a strong dependence upon God. Benjamin Franklin, we alluded to this earlier, said, the longer I live... The more convincing proofs I see of this, that God governs in the affairs of men. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We find in sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He called for a prayer meeting. You go back and look in our history. And numerous, numerous times that there were national days of prayer and fasting called for our nation. As an outward dependence upon God, God, we need you. Now you think about it. What made America great? And we ask ourselves, do I have a godly purpose what is my purpose? Do I have a godly purpose in why I'm living life? And then we ask, do I really have a respect for the Word of God and an obedience to the Word of God that this is what God said, so that's what I need to do? And do I have a spirit of sacrifice that I'm... I'm willing to not live for myself, but to live for others. And and give of myself for the service of God, for the blessing of others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others while I live for Thee. And then we ask, How is it manifested that I have a strong dependence upon God? There's one way that will show that we really have a strong dependence upon God. It's take a look at our prayer life. Our prayer life shows that we need God. When we cry out to God, it's an evidence that we need God. And so... It is good for us to go back and look what made America great. Yes, it was a godly purpose. And yes, they had a great respect for the Word of God and an obedience to it and a a willingness to sacrifice and a dependence upon God. But we need to ask ourselves, do I have a godly purpose? Is it evident by the way I'm living that the Word of God is important to me? Not just lip service, but I read the Word of God. I hunger for the Word of God. I obey the Word of God regardless of the cost. Am I willing to say no to self so that I can serve? And is it evident in my prayer life that I have a strong dependence upon God? You know, the the blessing of being a recipient also gives us the great responsibility of saying, what am I going to do with what I've received? We've received great liberty and great blessings, but what are we going to do with it? If there ever was a time that we needed to have a dependence upon God, if there ever was a time that that God needed to be hearing from all the corners of this nation, prayers it is right now. And it is important for us that we, not just here at church, but that we continually go before the Lord and say, God, have mercy, and God, bring revival, and God, bring a spiritual awakening locally, and regionally and nationally for God's honor and glory. So today as we close, what I want us to do is to go before the Lord in prayer. And as the Lord leads you to lead out in prayer, um, I just ask that you speak up loud so that, that others could share together in your prayer. But to pray for our nation and to ask ourselves, Lord, am I being an instrument to help Your name to be greatly magnified in this land, in our area, in our church, in our family, in my life. Let's go to prayer for our land. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that You have blessed Your Word In blessing this nation. And Lord, we acknowledge that as a nation, collectively, we have turned from Your Word. That which once was a centerpiece of our education system has now become something that cannot be used. We have turned away from Your ways in respect to the sanctity of life We have turned away from your design for marriage, and Lord, we deserve your judgment, but we would ask that you would help us to be lights and testimonies, and that you would use us as instruments to help bring others to the liberty in you. So Lord, we pray that you would bring a great spiritual awakening in our land for your glory.